0: This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
0: Hello and welcome to The Stand with Angie Dunphy. Now in the last few days, the Russians have been doing the most appalling damage in Kiev, targeting innocent people, children dying, war crimes being committed on a daily basis. It's a truly horrendous scenario. Of course, what's preventing Vladimir Putin from having his way and invading Ukraine and perhaps other countries in that part of the world if he were to succeed in Ukraine, what's standing between him and the success he desires is really NATO, and NATO depends entirely on the United States of America, not entirely, but as a, the power and the galvanizing force that the Biden administration has demonstrated and used very effectively to galvanize the world, the free world, to resist Putin, who is nothing more and a kleptomaniac and a thug, but it's truly the pictures from Ukraine this week have been truly shocking, which is a reminder for all of us how important the United States of America is to the world at the moment. And of course, who occupies the White House is vital. And the race for next year's 2024 presidential election has begun. And in August, which is just a few weeks away, The first debates in the Republican primary system which will nominate a Republican candidate for those elections begin. Donald Trump is a warm favorite despite entry into the race of Ron DeSantis, the powerful governor of Florida who won that swing state by 20 points and he was thought to be a serious rival for Trump. That hasn't happened. But there is the other side of this is the Biden administration and Joe Biden himself not looking in great shape in the polls and making gaffes, the latest being confusing Ukraine with Iraq and saying so in a television interview. We're joined now from Washington by Niall Stanich, associate editor of The Hill newspaper and that newspaper's White House columnist. Niall... The importance of what's going to take place, it's 16 months away, but can't be really overstated, in my view, for the West. I'm sure from all our conversations that you largely share that view.
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, you you started off your introduction there by talking about the war in Ukraine. That is one of the biggest international issues that would be profoundly changed depending upon who were to win The presidency in 2024, uh, President Biden obviously takes a very, uh, as it were, traditional pro-NATO view, has been quite staunch in uh, insisting that NATO defends the Ukrainians and uh, has uh, taken the lead in in sort of supplying them with various pieces of uh, equipment for that fight, even though he doesn't want to get directly involved. Um, Both Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump take a different view of that conflict. DeSantis having, at one point, downplayed it as a territorial dispute. Trump, not entirely clear exactly what he believes. He pledges that he could make peace within a day of getting back into power. But the assumption is that he would make that peace by being uh, very accommodating toward
0: Vladimir Putin. And the race is on for the nomination and just to the other point I made about Joe Biden's apparent frailty and despite I think we talked last week about our shared belief I think that his administration has been very successful in its international policy of you know galvanizing NATO and supporting Ukraine but also in domestic matters as well but his Frailty and the gaffes ensure that his poll numbers still remain pretty low. The Mm. point, the net point, I suppose, being whoever wins the nomination for the Republicans, most likely Donald Trump, is likely or has a very good chance of being the next president.
2: Yeah, that's right. Biden's approval ratings are not good. That is primarily driven, I think, by, by two things. One is continued concerns. About the economy, but the other one is the one that you mentioned, which is the concern about his age. Uh, It is probably worth emphasizing, Eamon, that those concerns about his age and mental uh, faculties do extend beyond uh, Republican voters or voters who you know have a have a grudge to bear against him for political reasons there was one poll fairly recently showing well over 60% of americans didn't feel that he had as the pollsters termed it the mental sharpness to serve effectively as president that is clearly a problem and um, there's not a whole lot he can do about it except try to display his vigor but those attempts are obviously greatly undermined every time he makes any of these gaffes, the one that you mentioned where he said twice, uh, war in Iraq, when he clearly meant war in Ukraine, uh, you know, those are not good because they feed that narrative that, he's, that he has lost a step, as they say here, that he's not quite right.
0: Now, Donald Trump has been indicted in Florida by Jack Smith, the special prosecutor. Smith is a highly regarded prosecutor, has served with the International Criminal court on war crimes and is regarded with respect by almost everybody. He prosecuted in Florida. That hearing took place. We don't know when the trial will take place, but we do know it will take place before a judge, a woman who was nominated by Donald Trump. He also seems likely, this is on the charge of espionage, it's to do with documents, classified documents that he kept in Mar-a-Lago and apparently he knew Precisely what he was doing, and as evidence to attest to that, he also seems certain Nile to be prosecuted for his interference in Georgia, where he asked a high state official, Raffensberger, to find votes for him. This is the clearest example we know of, because everyone has heard a long conversation that was taped. He's also liable for prosecution over the January 6th insurrection as well. And that's just political crimes, if you like. The other stuff, Mm. we leave aside the personal stuff. But Mm. it doesn't appear to matter, does it? Because he's still 30 points ahead of the nearest Republican challenger.
2: Yeah, it really doesn't matter in the Republican primary race. Now, of course, the general election... Uh, when he's trying to win over those what remain of the persuadable voters in the middle, it matters there. But in the Republican primary, I mean, in actual fact, his uh, the gap between him and DeSantis has in fact ticked up a couple of points since the first uh, criminal indictments were brought against him for the personal stuff, and then subsequently the Mar-a-Lago one that you mentioned. So, in it is fairly clear at this point, that the Republican electorate uh, is not only sort of unpersuaded by those cases, but frame them or incorporate them into this narrative of Trump as victim, uh, as victim of a sort of politicized justice system or something of that nature. And therefore, there is a rallying around him. It also means, of course, that he dominates the headlines, which has the effect of starving his rivals, of the the oxygen of publicity, as they used to say in the old days. And so that has an effect too. So right now, Donald Trump is clearly a a very strong favourite to win the Republican nomination. Maybe one of the other candidates, DeSantis or someone else, will emerge, will, will catch fire and get momentum. But right now, Trump is well clear of the chasing field.
0: And yet again, we discovered in this past few days that he attempted to influence the twenty twenty election that he lost mm. by trying to persuade the governor of Arizona to find some votes as well. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, no, you know, extraordinary, really.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting that this probe or these investigations are now extending out past the Georgia. Matter that you mentioned to Arizona, another state that President Biden won by a very narrow margin. He won the whole state by fewer than 11,000 votes. But it has now emerged that Trump, while still president, spoke to the governor of Arizona, Doug Ducey, to uh, discuss those results. But one of the key points is that Ducey, in his role as governor, was, um, I mean, basically certifying those results. And of course, the assumption or the suspicion is that Trump was calling him to pressure him not to do that, not to make that certification. Ducey has not spoken about this in any detail publicly. Um, the call happened, um, but We don't know exactly the content of it. Ducey at times has been very pro-Trump, at other times has been a bit distant from him uh, and has seemed to try to work a bit of a a tightrope. Um, He's now out of office, incidentally. Arizona now has a Democratic governor. But it is yet another uh, difficulty, legal difficulty at least, for Donald Trump as he uh, continues his bid to regain the White House.
0: Now, the effort in Georgia in which he urged the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensberger, a Republican who voted for Trump, mm-hmm. who has given evidence to Jack Smith, has been interviewed by Jack Smith. This really looks like, because we've all heard the recording of Trump asking him to find a precise number of votes that would mm. take him over the line. Everybody's heard it. There surely can't be any defense, can there?
2: Well, you wouldn't think so. I, I mean, I suppose... Well, I I don't really know, honestly, what the Trump defense will be if he is actually charged. That recording that you're alluding to seems on its face to be blatant evidence of election interference. There has at times been some uh, rather uh, convoluted argument that if Trump honestly believed he was being defrauded, then would those co- a call like that become an attempt to right a wrong rather than to commit a wrong? Uh That seems uh, an unpersuasive argument to me, to say the very least, but uh, we'll have to see. He hasn't even, as as you know, been charged yet with the Georgia matter. That's a, a prosecutor in Georgia, a woman by the name of Fannie Willis, has been leading the probe there and has not announced as yet what her actions will be, even though, of course, the evidence in that call seems very, very strong.
0: And there is one other extraordinary fact that the Democrats, should anything happen to Joe Biden or should he become, you know, almost unelectable because of his mental frailties and the fact that if he were elected, he'd be 86 Mm. when he left office. There is no Democrat that is in any way suitable to step in. It's extraordinary, isn't it?
2: Yeah, they don't really have any obvious alternative, which is actually a a sort of saving grace for Biden, because if there was a strong alternative, I think he might be in some difficulty. Uh, Kamala Harris, the vice president, has her political weaknesses. Pete Buttigieg has some supporters. I'm not uh, hugely impressed by his political skills. And the other person who is talked about and has sort of been positioning himself if something were to happen to biden is gavin newsom the governor of california now obviously by virtue of being governor of such a huge state newsom is already a national political figure um he is quite a sort of archetypal um, some tanned Californian, and how that would play in the old steel mining and coal mining well. towns of Pennsylvania and Ohio is uh, debatable, to say the very least.
1: Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H E L P.
0: Now, Biden's coming to Europe this week, this coming week, among other things, to visit. King Charles in London, Mm -hmm. and indeed Rishi Sunak, who was the British Prime Minister, and was in Washington recently. Biden's hostility to to Britain was underlined after that Sunak visit to Washington when it is believed he tried to get the leadership of NATO for Wallace, the Minister for Defence in the Tory government, but he was put back in his place where. Led to believe by Biden, who insisted that the man who's in the office at the moment should continue. So, Biden's hostility to Britain is evident at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly the British
2: get very, very touchy about this. I mean, that, that hostility, as you put it, seems to have a number of components. Part of it is that, you know, Biden's Irish American roots uh, do clearly fuel that to some extent. Then there's Brexit, which, of course, is itself interwoven with the Good Friday Agreement and the likely negative effects of, uh, well, I mean, I won't bore your listeners with stuff that they already know about exactly Brexit's influence on the North and whether there would be a hard border and all all of that stuff. So you put that together, and Biden clearly doesn't hold uh, a particularly high view of Britain. Now, he, I think, would... um, dispute the idea of hostility but it is certainly the case that he doesn't just do the british bidding or that it is not a question where the, the british can rely on the so-called special relationship for biden to parrot their views of x y or z that's certainly not not the relationship at all which of course will make this uh, meeting with sunak uh, uh, an interesting one in london
0: Yes, and one of the flagship claims of the Brexit campaigners before they a- achieved their goal was that it opened up the prospect of a trade deal with the United States of America, which would be a bonanza time. Now, mm. It's not going to happen, and it would take about 10 years to negotiate because it's notoriously difficult to negotiate trade deals anyway, and mm. a trade deal between Britain and the United States would be an extremely complicated matter.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, the other issue is that there's really a question of whether the Americans have a great imperative or motivation to do it at all. I mean, it, it doesn't particularly matter. It's certainly not a pressing issue in American domestic politics, for example. Whereas on the, I mean, you're quite right. On the pro Brexit side in British politics, this was about to happen. and Would all be great. Uh, trade deals, you know, do take years just by their very nature, and and you, they not only are complicated by their nature, but they draw in lobbyists for this industry and that industry and the other industry, all looking for carve outs or favourable deals for themselves. So that's all a bit of a nightmare. It hasn't happened. Not only has it not happened, there's no particular sign that it's close to happening. Um, so the pro-Brexit people in the UK try to sort of talk their way around that. Uh, and I, there was some sort of fig leaf offered to Sunak when he was here about uh, some sort of investment, yes. the details of which escape me right now. But it, it allowed him to say that he got... The
0: Framework, I think it was called. You know, he
2: was able to say that he'd got something rather than nothing, even though the something fell well short of the kind of comprehensive trade agreement that the Brexiteers had uh, wanted and hoped for.
0: Now, it was remiss of me and I made a mistake because I meant to talk to you about Ron DeSantis, who Mm. was believed to be going to provide a formidable opponent to Donald Trump for the nomination to run as a Republican candidate next autumn. However, DeSantis has proved to be a flop in his efforts to campaign so far. And he did produce, I must say, something, a video mm. which came out last week. And as I understand it, well, I saw the video and I was I was I was disgusted. And a lot of people in the United States, including some Republicans, were disgusted as well. Can you tell us what the content was?
2: Yeah, it was a very, very bizarre video that was released through a Twitter account or retweeted by a Twitter account, DeSantis War Room, which is officially affiliated with him. It was a video hitting Donald Trump, of all people, for being, in DeSantis' view, uh, too liberal or too soft on lesbian, gay, and transgender
1: people.
0: Yeah, it was disgusting homophobic stuff.
2: Yeah, I mean, the thing about it was that there was the stuff about Trump, and then it segued into this bizarre sort of hyper-macho portrayal of DeSantis interspersed with like footage of very heavily muscled men. And it was a very, very weird video. But the suggestion was... I mean, I, I don't know how you can deny that it was sort of homophobic, really. I mean, the suggestion was that Trump was was too soft on gay people. That was what the ad was about, but uh, cast in very uh, sort of obnoxiously controversial terms. I thought.
0: Yeah, and it's strange now because this is the most powerful nation on earth, and yeah, upon which you know whatever its critics and it could well be criticised for its foreign policy. Over the decades, whatever one thinks about that is very important to the survival of a free world and Western democracy. And they come up with this weirdo. I mean he he won Florida, God knows how, but everything he seems that seems to come out of his mouth, he's stiff, wooden, and deeply unattractive when we were led to believe he was Trump without the coarseness without the vulgarity and without an attachment to criminal behavior? Well, it seems like
2: a large proportion of the Republican elect- electorate so far agree with you, Eamon, which maybe doesn't always always happen if they were listening to our uh, conversations. <laughs> but um, DeSantis do- has about 20%-ish around, around about that in the polls. His support has come down quite significantly from before his campaign began. There has been no sign at all of him making progress in his campaign, which is now about a month old. Um, That video was perceived, I think, by a lot of people to have a bit of a whiff of desperation about it because it seemed intentionally controversial to get him in the headlines. And he's made a a few other missteps as well. I mentioned earlier his territorial dispute comment about, about Ukraine. His, the launch of his campaign, which was on Twitter Spaces with Elon Musk, was just a bit of a fiasco marred by technical difficulties. But maybe the biggest issue is, is the one that you mentioned, which is that on the campaign trail, um, DeSantis' awkwardness with people just becomes very difficult to uh, avoid or disguise. And so there is a real question mark about his effectiveness as a campaigner. Now, as you say, he has the electoral record he has in Florida, so he must know something about what he's doing. But uh, there are not many signs of him making progress so far.
0: He is, however, a very strong fundraiser, I, mm-hmm. I understand. And the campaign slogan appears to be, never back down. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's our, our related uh, Super PAC, which is one of these organizations that can get almost unlimited, uh, well, actually unlimited donations from big donors. I think DeSantis at one point certainly was seen as the favored candidate of all big mega donors in the Republican Party because they liked the fierceness of his conservatism. And the theory was he had less of the baggage than Trump less of the buffoonery than Trump and could actually get things done. Uh, All of those points become moot, of course, if you can't get yourself elected. And that's the danger for DeSantis now that uh, there's now a question mark over his effectiveness as a campaigner.
0: In a piece you sent me, actually, it was argued that for DeSantis, his campaign against Trump is very heavily focused on winning Iowa, Mm. where polls are showing him trailing Trump by 20 points. And Iowa is a co- very conservative state, isn't it?
2: It is, uh, and particularly in a Republic, in Republican caucuses. Uh, evangelicals, born-again Christians, play a very strong part in that. Back in 2016, when Trump first ran, he lost the Iowa caucuses to Ted Cruz, who has more of an appeal to that kind of yes. religious right constituency. So I can see why DeSantis and his campaign uh, are putting a lot of chips on Iowa, and maybe it'll work out. I mean, we have seen in previous campaigns, people, you know, campaigns can break open very late in the day, you know, two or three weeks or a month before the first uh, event, suddenly the polling all changes. But right now, it's not looking particularly hopeful for Mr. DeSantis.
0: Now, Niall, an extraordinary happening at the White House this week. Cocaine was found Mm. The president was not in, res- <laughs> in <laughs> residence. So, Nor uh, was Hunter, no as far Hunter, as we know. Nor Hunter, his son. <laughs> um, so, tell us about this finding mm. and where it was and who found it. Well, it's all a bit
2: bizarre. The Secret Service found a bag of cocaine in the White House and the uh, that is obviously an embarrassment for the White House. Now, the... White House officials have noted that this uh, discovery was made in a place where there are some public tours of the West Wing. The White House is clearly trying to imply that some tourists dropped it, and that may be the case. The right, including the sort of right-wing media, are trying to imply that it came from a staff member. They can't really claim Biden family because he literally wasn't an, in in residence at the time. The president wasn't. But um, it's, it's sort of an embarrassment and distraction for the White House. And, of course, it feeds into sort of yep. culturally conservative criticisms as well. So it's a, I'm sure it'll ultimately be a passing story, but it's still an awkward one for the White
0: House. Yeah, and the idea maybe that Democrats are cocaine-sniffing radicals. And reprobates. Reprobates yes. through and through, unlike our man Donald <laughs> Okay. There's a
2: moral paragon in
0: these. It ones. is. We'll have to go away and think about that. Um, but we're very grateful to you, Niall, for joining us from Washington at the beginning of what looks like being a very interesting 14 or 15 months. We're grateful to Niall Stanich of The Hill, newspaper, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon.